0: How do you define love, and how do you define holy? Defining the love of God and the holiness of God sometimes can be very difficult. In just a few moments, I'm going to read a poem scribbled on the walls of a patient's room inside of an insane asylum. The poem was found after the patient had died. And I'm not certain that you will read anything more profound. That's coming up in just a few moments. Hello, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, a podcast where we look at the great truths of the Christian faith. And we've begun looking at, first of all, the first topic is God and how we know God. Does God exist and can God be known and how has God revealed Himself? And now for four podcasts, we have looked at the attributes or the character of God. And today we will continue looking at God's communicable attributes. We've looked at His incommunicable attributes, those attributes which He does not share with humans. His independence, His immutability or His unchangeableness, His eternalness and His omnipresence. Those are characteristics that we do not share with God, but then we've looked, and this is our third podcast, at looking at the communicable attributes of God, those attributes that we do share with Him as human beings. Of course, He has them in, gra- in a greater degree than we do, But but we still share those characteristics with God, and that's the fact that God is spirit, the fact that God is invisible, that He is that He has knowledge, that He is good. And in this podcast, we're going to look at at the final attributes that we'll be looking at. There are more than this, but the ones that we'll be looking at for our podcast's sake. And that is primarily God's love and God's holiness. I think it's important for us to spend a little time looking at both of those, God's love and God's holiness. So first of all, let's look at, The love of God, and how do you define or how do you encapsulate God's love? Well, let me start with a definition. God's love means that God eternally gives of Himself to others. That's That's how you define love. God's eternally giving of Himself to others. And this definition understands love as as self-giving for the benefit of someone else. So this attribute of God shows that it's a part of His nature to give of Himself in order to bring about blessings or goodness for others. And that's who God is, and that's what God does. John tells us God is love in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 so we know his very character is described as love now in thinking about the love of God let's think about several aspects first of all I believe that God the, the, the love of God is found first and foremost within God himself within the Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit because we are told God is love And Jesus speaks to His Father, John 17, 24, whenever He said, My glory that You've given Me, because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. That's in Jesus' high priestly prayer He says that. So that indicates that there was was love and a giving of honor from the Father to the Son throughout all eternity past. And it continues to present because we read in John 3.35, Jesus said the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. So we know that it continues. So the love is reciprocal. For Jesus, I do as the Father commanded me, John 14.31, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So there's a reciprocal love between Father God and Jesus' Son. And that love between the Father and the Son characterizes their relationship also with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not told that explicitly. It's not not explicitly mentioned. But this eternal love of the Father for the Son, Son for the Father, and of both for the Holy Spirit makes heaven a world of love and joy because even the persons of the Trinity seek to bring joy and happiness to the others. But let's go a step further. The self-giving that characterizes the Trinity finds clear expression in God's relationship to us, to humanity, to sinful human beings. I like what John said, 1 John 4:10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul writes, Romans 5:8, God shows his love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John writes, John three sixteen God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Paul, Galatians two twenty, said, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're seeing that God's love is directly applied to you and me. Sinful human beings who did not deserve it. Folks, you are loved by God. There's not a greater theological statement than John three sixteen. God loved us so much He gave so we could have life, sinful human beings. And that is love encapsulated, God's love for us. So it's God's nature to act that way toward those of us whom He has set His love upon and He will continue to act that way toward us for all eternity. Now, we imitate this communicable attribute of God, the love of God, in two ways. We we imitate that by first of all loving God in return, And then secondly, by loving other human beings in return as well. So, we imitate the love of God by loving God and loving others the way God loves them. All our obligations to God can be summarized in this. You may remember Matthew 22, 37, and 39. Jesus was asked the greatest commandment. And you remember Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself, a horizontal and a vertical plane to God's love of how we imitate it. Loving God and loving others. If we love God, we'll obey His commandments, 1 John 5, 3 and that thus, therefore we're doing what is pleasing to him. We will love God not the world according to John first John 2:15 and we'll do all of this because he first loved us first John 4:19. Folks, I I have found sometimes it's a lot easier to love God than it is human beings. It's a lot easier to love a God that we cannot see then it is human beings whom we can see and sometimes they're difficult to love, but we must do both. If we're going to imitate God and His communicable attributes He shares with us, we must love God, but we also must love each other because God loves us. Sinful human beings as we are, He, He loves us. You know, it's one of the most amazing facts in all the Bible, that just as God's love involves His giving of Himself to make us happy, so we can, in return, give of ourselves and bring joy to God's heart whenever we act like Him. Isaiah promised God's people, Isaiah 62, 5, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride... So shall your God rejoice over you. Why does He do that? Because we love as He loved. Zephaniah, I love this passage. I preached on it not too long ago. He tells God's people The Lord your God is in your midst, and He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3.17, a great passage of Scripture. Why does God love us like that and quiet us with His love and rejoice over us? Because we are imitating His love when we love Him in return and love other people. Folks, maybe maybe you don't realize how important it is for you to love others, but you must. Because our imitation of God's love is seen perfectly as we love other people john makes it very explicit 1 john 4:11 beloved if god so loved us we also ought to love one another in fact our love for others within the fellowship of believers is so evidently an imitation of christ that we're the world recognizes us in this way john 13:35 By all this will people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how the world knows us as believers. It's not because we walk an aisle or sign a card or uh, attend a church. It's whenever we love one another, they say, aha, they are acting like God. So God Himself gives us His love And enables us to love Him in return and love others in return as well. I want to read to you one of the great poems. It's called The Love of God. It's actually a hymn that we sing. but It was primarily a poem, uh, first of all, found in the 11th century, the Akdumet. It's a Jewish poem. And um, it's known as the love of God, which was set to to music. But let me just read it to you. It is my very favorite on the love of God. And then the final stanza is that poem found scribbled on the walls of a patient's room inside of an insane asylum the very last verse. Let me read it to you. Verse 1, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Listen to verse 2. When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong. Redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints, and angel song. But now listen to the last verse. This is the verse, the poem that was found scribbled on the walls of the patient's room inside of an insane asylum found after his death. It was scribbled. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Folks, one of the great attributes of God is the love that He has and the love that He is. Well, I want to talk about one more communicable attribute. Now, there are many attributes of God that that He he has. In fact, we're only covering a total of ten in these four podcasts on the character of God Theologians, as you study systematic theology in depth, you will actually study 20 different characteristics, uh, uh, attributes that God possesses, both communicable and incommunicable attributes. But we're only, for the sake of time on these podcasts, going to be looking at 10. So now let me look at the 10th one, and that is God's holiness. God's holiness. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor, do we... Is holiness actually a communicable attribute of God? I mean, I thought only God was holy and we're not holy. So why is His holiness an an attribute we share with Him? Well, let me explain. How do you define holy? Well, if you were to give a definition of holy, you would probably say uh, sinless, but you're wrong. Because holiness does not mean sinless. The word holy means set apart. It means different. It means separate. So just as God is separate from all other gods, He's the only one that's true and living, and just, because, and just how He is separate from all of His creation in a sense, We, as His believers, share this attribute because we are to be separate from the world. The word holy does not mean sinless. It means separated from sin and devoted to seeking His honor. Now, this definition of holiness contains both a relational quality and both a moral quality. The relational quality means you're separated from something, from someone. The moral quality means you're separated from something such as sin or evil and you're devoted to God's honor, God's glory. So, the idea of holiness as including both separation from evil, and devotion to God's glory, that concept and that idea is found in several Old Testament passages. Think about the tabernacle. This is interesting. Think about the tabernacle. The word holy is used to describe both parts of the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself in the Old Testament was a place separate from the evil and sin of the world. That's why they built it. And then the first room was called the holy place. So it was set apart and dedicated to God's service. So you have two aspects. The tabernacle separated from the world and even one portion of the tabernacle (coughs) is separated to God's glory, the holy place you may remember God commanded that there be a veil Exodus 26 the veil shall separate you from the holy place and from the most holy so the most holy place where the ark of the covenant was kept was the place most separated from sin and evil and most fully devoted to God's service and to God's glory the the tabernacle. Now, the place where God Himself dwelt itself was holy, and is holy. You may remember Psalm 24, verse 3. David wrote, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? The element of dedication to God's service is seen in the holiness of the, of the Sabbath day or the Shabbat, as as Jews call it, Exodus 20, verse 11. The Lord blessed Shabbat and made it holy or hallowed it. So the Sabbath day was made holy because it was set apart from the ordinary activities of the world and dedicated to God's service, just like we are. In the same way, the tabernacle and the altar as well as Aaron and his sons they were to be made holy so they could minister before the Lord. That's Exodus 29, 44. So they were set apart to the task separated from the world and set apart to the task of bringing glory to God and being dedicated to His service. Now, God Himself is called the Most Holy One. He's called the Holy One of Israel and Numerous passages in Psalms and Isaiah 114, Isaiah 519, 524, where he is called the Holy One of Israel. In fact, Isaiah also tells us that the seraphim around God's throne in heaven cry and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Lord our God is holy, exclaimed the psalmist in Psalm 99, 9. So we see that scripture teaches us that God himself is the most holy one, which means he is separate from the world, separate from his creation, separate from other gods. And we are to imitate that by being separated as well. God's holiness provides the pattern, I think, for us to imitate, as I said. He commands us, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I don't know how many times I've had people, this is in Leviticus 19, 2 and 1 Peter 1.16. And I've had people ask me before, Pastor, what does that verse mean? I can't be holy like God's holy. But see, they're thinking, they're thinking the word holy means sinless. And you're right, we cannot be sinless as God is sinless, but we can be holy as God is holy because it means separated, separate, apart from evil, apart from sin, apart from this world. When God called His people out of Egypt, brought them to Himself, He commanded them to obey His voice And in Exodus 19, 6, he says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and you shall be a holy nation. A holy nation. And in this case, the idea of separation from evil and sin and the idea of devotion to God was both seen in the example of a holy nation. That's what they were to be and who they were to be. So now you go to the New Testament and the New Covenant believers, we are to be... Holy. Hebrews 12 14. Strive for the holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. And to know God's discipline is to share his holiness, according to Hebrews 12, 10. The Apostle Paul he encouraged believers, 2 Corinthians, to be separate from that dominating influence that comes from close association with evil in the world and unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18, Paul says, come out from among them and be separate. And I think sometimes we as believers are are too close to the world and too close to evil. We want to see how closely we can get to it without being contaminated. And God says, be separate totally from it. Cleanse yourself, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 7. Cleanse yourself from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And then Ephesians 2. The church itself is intended by God to grow into a holy temple in the the Lord. And Christ's present work for the church is that we might sanctify her that he might present the church to himself in splendor and that the church might be holy and without blemish. That's Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. So not only are individuals to be holy, but the church itself is to grow in holiness. You know, so many churches today, again, try to be try to see as closely how they can imitate the world and try to reach people by imitating the world. And folks, I don't think that's a biblical pattern. Churches are to be separate. We're to be distinct from the world. We're not to be like the world. We're to be distinct and give God glory and honor and praise and be separate and reflect that glory and be dedicated to His holiness. We're not to try to see how close we can get to the world or reach the world. We're never commanded to do that but we are commanded to be separate and grow in holiness as a church. You know, one last passage I want to share with you on the holiness of God. Zechariah prophesies a day when everything on earth will be holy to the Lord. Think about that day. Think about that final day Zechariah talks about where everything on earth will be holy to The Lord. Let me read that passage. Zechariah 14 verses 20 and 21. Quote, And on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses holy to the Lord. And in the pots in the house of the Lord shall be set as the bowls before the altar and every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. Everything will be Holy. At that time, everything on earth will be separated from evil, purified from sin, and devoted to the service of God in true moral purity. Praise God for His holiness. And may we share that communicable attribute. attribute. May we be wholly separated as well. Well, there you have it. 10 communicable and incommunicable attributes of God that we talked about. His independence, His unchangeableness or immutableness, immutability. His eternalness, His omnipresence, His spirit, He is invisible, He's all-knowing, He is uh, good, He's loving, and He's holy. Now there are other attributes, as I said, that formal uh, theologians study. Those include God's mercy, God's grace, God's patience, God's wrath, His jealousy, God is wise, His freedom, His perfection, His blessedness, His beauty, His glory. All of these are attributes that that we could go into further detail, but really four podcasts, I think, are enough to cover for what we're going to do looking at God's character or His attributes that He possesses. Now, Next podcast and looking further into who God is, uh, first of all looking at the topic of God. Next week we're going to look at God's will. I think you'll find this to be very interesting. How do we know God's will? What is God's will? Does God will things like we think He wills things? So next podcast we'll be looking at God's will. I think you'll find it to be very interesting. Well, I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed spending time with you talking about God's characteristics and we'll continue. So we'll uh, reach out to you next time and we'll talk next time as we continue to talk about the great attributes of God, the character of God, and Truth 101, the great truths of the Christian faith. God bless you. We'll see you next time.